All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya podcast. I'm Bobby Bancroft, and I am here with a special edition of, we got two guys from The Athletic. We have Eamon Brennan, and I think you guys know probably Ben Standig. You can follow both of them on Twitter. It's just their names, just like myself. We are all very boring, apparently. Um, last week, we had Ben on, and we went over The Athletic, did a 2020 fan survey um this is something that Eamon and ben both worked on um hopefully if you're listening you filled out the survey if you did not and you want to read the survey i encourage everyone to sign up for the athletic you can go to both of their twitters and you can find the article and you can sign up through that it was a really good survey about 350 people answered a lot of good questions a lot of good answers so guys let's just kind of let's just kind of get going and talking about what happened in the survey Sounds good here. Um, Bobby, uh, first of all, uh, thank oh, you boy. for doing this. No, no, so thank <laughs> you for doing this. Uh, also, thanks to Eamon for classing the place up. Normally, but me and Bobby just you know screaming into the wind about something. So you're going to uh, bring some actual intelligence to the situation. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, Bobby, I, well, I mean, it's, you do what you want. I'm, I'm curious. So you, you I, I, obviously, we did this. So you, as the uh, outsider, what you, there was a bunch of questions. What, what was the one thing that stood out to you? Wow, the one thing. There's, I mean, a lot of these questions are really good. Um, before I say that. I haven't looked at other teams' fan surveys. I am a subscriber to The Athletic, but I just haven't had the time, even though it's a pandemic and there's a lot to do, or there's 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 not a lot to do. Um, I thought about 350 people, I think it was up for five or six days. I thought that was a pretty good turnout. Is that is that seen by you guys as well? Yeah. Um, from what I've seen, that's a solid number. Um, okay. I haven't, you know, I think that was probably right around what the Yukon one was, which I oh, nice. was one of the one of the earlier ones that we did. It's right in that same range. Um, I remember the one that I worked off the first time I did one, which was for UVA, was Oklahoma City Thunder or was it General Oklahoma one? Something like that. But that had a, a roughly the same number of Thunder fans in there. So, um, you know, that's an NBA team with theoretically a lot of support so that yeah it's a pretty healthy number i will say virginia was larger but um i don't know we it seems like we have a lot of uva people signed up so well hey they're coming off a national championship it's true there's a lot of enthusiasm around virginia basketball if you didn't know and and if people want to look um under my name on the athletic you can find that uva survey and the uh sorry my dog's barking in the background that's perfect and uh yeah we're already it's already happened um and the the UVA survey is like, you know, general satisfaction with the program. I think it was like 97% gave it a five <laughs> star rating. It was like super high. Like it was like, you know, a dictator in a third world country couldn't goose a vote to, to make him look that popular. So, um, but no, yeah, Georgetown was a good number overall for sure. Okay, cool. Yeah. I thought I was, I thought it was pretty good. Um, getting back to Ben's question, get to Ben's question. Um, I would say just right off the start, Georgetown's star for next season. Like, I know, you know, uh, o- Omir Yurt 7 was hurt a lot at the end. It didn't play. And Kudis Wahab had some promising minutes, some promising games. But to have him over, I thought, Jamarco Pickett, and it, it, was, it was close. But to me, that was like, wow. Yeah, I, mean, I, I was a little surprised by that, too. I mean, I feel like there was 
enthusiasm. I feel like at the games last year, there was enthusiasm around Kudis that maybe there wasn't for some of the other guys. And maybe it's sort of the the attraction of potential as opposed yeah. to a guy you've seen for three years who maybe hasn't quite got all the way there yet. Yeah, I mean, it feels like Wahab is almost like a recruit still, and people like recruits because he was, you know, kind of was around but wasn't really doing a lot. And all of a sudden, you're late, like, oh, wait, what's going on here? He actually got some, got 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 some upside here. Where Pickett's been an unbelievably frustrating player for three years, and you know, Blair is totally solid, but not a, not not a star by any stretch. So yes, I was surprised too. But I, I think if you're if you're desperate for optimism for this program, that's probably the way to go. Yeah, and I think, too, I think that if you're a realistic Georgetown fan, if there is a season this year, it's unlikely Georgetown's going to make the NCAA tournament, assuming it's, you know, like a normal season, a normal tournament, all that stuff. So when you look to Cutis, I think you're also looking more, like you said, a recruit. It's more optimistic that when Georgetown, if if they turn around under Ewing, Cutis will be a part of that, whereas Pickett will, you know, have a good four-year career, a 1,000-point score, but it's, you know, Wahab is more of the future. He's sort of like, you know, that 2022 question, you know, like he'll be around for that. Jamarco and Javon won't. So I thought, but still, I thought, I thought, I thought Jamarco, the last couple of games of the season, I thought he was going to put his name in because um, the last couple of games, including the Big East tournament, he looked like a guy, he was kind of showing you the guy that could, you know, he looks like an NBA player. He just doesn't always play like it, you know, uh, but he was playing like it at the end. So I, Thought he might win out, but that was kind of the first thing. And Andrew Geiger, the casual Hoya, you know, main account, he picked Cutis Wahab. So I was, I, I didn't want him to be right. <laughs> um, so, so even, so, and this kind of goes along with that. You were at a lot of games last year. I know we spoke here and there. Um, this goes mm-hmm. with that question. And there's, there's another question down there, you know, where do you, where do you feel the program is, is going Everyone that's listening, we have good listeners, good loyal listeners. They've heard Ben and I say the same things a million times, right? What's your sort of, you know, look towards next year as far as, you know, Cutis and sort of just Georgetown, like just a quick, a quick little, you know, where do you think they're kind of going? Yeah, um, I think it's, uh, to me, it feels like it's a little bit back to square one um, in, in a sort of, you know, coaches have rebuilding cycles and it's well-worn territory, but, um, you know, you want to be at, at certain places after year three, year four, um, you know, getting into year five where that's kind of where you want to have your program. It's not going to be self-sustaining by that point, but you want to have at least a couple groups of guys having come through that you're kind of mixing here and there. And it's not just one group. And I think, what happened this past year in terms of the ro- roster exodus. I-, I think if you look at where Georgetown was be- at the beginning of last season, I was really positive about them. Um, it was, it looked to me like a tournament team, a uh, young group of sophomores that were really good as freshmen had a lot of flaws, but you know, you could see them growing as a group for three or four years and um, that all kind of getting pulled out of, uh, you know, the rug kind of getting pulled out for, for various reasons, um, which we can get into, which is kind of a, the, the, topic of another of the survey questions. I think now you look at what the roster is and you look at the recruiting a year or two down the, the line and you say, okay, Georgetown in a year or two might be, might be getting back to where, um, you know, they're, they're pushing to get in the NCAA tournament, but um, it feels almost like a first or a second year again. 
whereas that you know sort of that momentum and progress that was there heading into Ewing's third season and okay you can kind of see um the 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 sort of shape of the rebuild coming together um that's all kind of gone now and and I can understand if Georgetown fans are frustrated by that because um covering the team a little bit more closely um you know not not at every game and definitely not sort of in the in the trenches in the way that some other people are but um, there did seem to be a, a real sense of momentum for a couple of years there. And I think that that's kind of faded a little bit now. Uh, I, I mean, totally agree with all that. And I guess if you be, if we look back to Ewing's actual first, he had Jesse Govan and Marcus Derrickson right now we're projecting mm-hmm. Quintus Wahab to be maybe them. If, if, if that, you know, if they're lucky, right. If he, if you said he's going to be those guys, I mean, you'd be like, okay, that's, that's pretty good. So yeah, I mean it, it's 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 almost even way more unknown than it was, and that's but so um, I think that's what makes it so tough. Like the, one of the other questions is is about the level of optimism uh, on the scale of one to five. And when we talked about this the other day, previewing the survey, I can't remember what what Bobby and Andrew both said, but I think they were both in sort of the two to three range somewhere in there. Yeah, um, and that's mm-hmm. and that's where the bulk of the the, the the people are with with two eking out the three and I think that's the right vibe because it, it is like you know I mean obviously we don't even know if we're going to play this season but you know realistically unless Wahab and some others make massive leaps you know they're probably not making the tournament again and that's where you're like oh man like where 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 are we here how how long is it going to take to to turn it around yeah so that kind of goes those two questions were. I know when when I answer them, it was kind of like, you know, are you satisfied with the program? How would you rate Ewing? Um, they kind of have to be linked together. You can't really go that far. You know, you can't, you know, do a five for one and do a two in the other. You kind of have to, they're, you know, they're they're kind of very closely related. And I know I get accused a lot of being negative on Twitter. Um, <laughs> so when I, I think I kind of cheated or not cheated, but I kind of, I kind of gave a cop-out answer. I think on one of them, I said a two and a half, which obviously isn't, um, you know, that, that, that wasn't part of the rules, but I thought that the, I thought there might be more optimism because you do see a lot, there is a lot of optimism on Twitter. And the fact that I think if you were going to fill this survey out, I thought that it might, it might lean a little bit more that way. So I was, I was pretty interested to see that in my opinion, the fan base does seem to be kind of grounded in reality. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I agree. I, th- I feel like, so I was surprised there were maybe as many people who put four for both of those answers as, as they did just because it's been a while since Georgetown's been in the NCAA tournament. Right. And last year was a disappointing year in a lot of ways. Um, you know, not just not getting to the tournament, you know, it's one thing if the team, as expected last year, wouldn't have gotten to the NCAA tournament. Um, that would be maybe more of a coaching thing that would be like, well, okay, well, this was a pretty talented team that everyone kind of expected to, to get to, to, um, you know, get back on track and it didn't happen. And why is that? And, and then you start looking at coaching probably. Um, the fact that all these guys are just gone now, I feel like would depress things even a little bit more. I guess it's, you know, it's all about perception. Twitter is not reality. And that's why these surveys are actually really helpful, I think, um, not just for us, but for a fan base trying to get sort of a sense of itself and where it's at. Like, like of course, no kidding, Virginia 
fans are happy with Tony Bennett. Like, of course they are. Like, they're a number one seed every year and they just won the national title. I think where the reason this one was so interesting to me is because it is a little bit more muddled and you do see sort of the diehard love for the program itself and some of the other questions. I thought that that was a really fun part of it. But the actual sort of um, month to month, year to year, where are we currently as a program sort of thing was was muddled with some optimism and definitely a lot. Of, I mean, almost like like Ben said, almost 80 percent. How satisfied are you with the state of Georgetown basketball answered either a two or a three? That's a that's a hefty contingent of people who are below positive, I guess. And well, two things. One's not Georgetown related. What would be crazy is if you had done the fan survey after the, after UVA lost to UMBC, because even at that point, the program obviously humming along, doing incredibly well. You know, <laughs> it would have been interesting how how far the answers would have gone in that year, because you know losing to a 16 seed. Um, but obviously, the greatest, this is, the greatest 16 seed of all time. Let's be clear oh, about this. The fighting Ben Standings. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I got my. I'm, I'm literally looking at my UMBC hat right now. I have a UMBC hat and a UMBC mask. I'm, I may wear them both tomorrow and, just in honor of this. And then, obviously, for Georgetown, with if if everything has been the same, you know, after they got rid of JT three, if the program had the exact same results, exact same everything, but the coach wasn't Patrick Ewing, you sort of wonder what answers to this would be like, right? Mm, yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. So. Um, one of our uh, other questions, uh, which is sort of more open-ended, um, was open-ended. It was a short-form response, um, which obviously these are harder to quantify without drilling into each and every answer. And I don't think that's necessarily super helpful anyway. But, um, you know, what what is one thing you would change about Georgetown basketball and, you know, better recruiting, on-campus arena, um, you know, uh, stuff like that. It's all, all up there. Um, but the, you know, the, the, the sort of shadow cast over the program, for better or worse, by John Thompson and his legacy at the school and the, you know, sort of apparent influence he still has at the school is something that was mentioned over and over again in terms of we need to move forward. I think it's what you mentioned is really interesting because let's say um, John Thompson III uh, is fired, lose, you know, resigns, whatever. And um, a new coach is hired that has no past history with Georgetown is just a coach hired because he did a good job at, I don't know, UNC Wilmington or whatever. Right. Yeah. And what the program right now, I, it would be really, really in this alternate history, really interesting to see what these responses would be about that person right now, what the positivity level would be, because there does seem to be a huge contingent of people who think that for Georgetown to really move on and move forward, it has to get away from the Thompson era. And Patrick Ewing, for better or worse, I think people still see him as part of that, even if he isn't actually related to John Thompson. But I think if it, the fans would be far less forgiving and far less willing to talk themselves into where things are going right now, if that were the case. And so I don't know that they'd necessarily be happier. Does that make sense? Hundred percent. Well, and it, you know, for as many people that put that answer for what's one thing you want to change about Georgetown, you know, how often in the question about what you know, what's your favorite part of Georgetown basketball? I I believe a lot of it was probably 
the tradition, you know. Totally. The, it was you know, tradition. It was it was it was tradition. It was history. It was uh, the players, and it was um, long time history of social justice. Yeah. And progress progressiveness on social issues. And that's that's all John Thompson, right? I mean, like it, it's it's hard to disentangle the things people like in isolation about the program from the person that essentially built them top to bottom. And that's just kind of, you know, that that comes from I mean, Georgetown is not the only program to struggle with this. Indiana considers itself a blue blood and has won multiple national titles uh, in its history under two different coaches and considers itself sort of at the epicenter of college basketball. And I went to Indiana, so it's a, a, an easy example for me to pull from. And it has now spent, 20, yeah, 20 years. And Bob Knight was, was fired in 2000. It spent 20 years trying to figure out how to get back to that and what parts of that culture to keep and how you unite the, the you know, the Bob Knight's players with the current coaches without it being this huge acrimonious thing. And he just came back to the school last year. So it's a really difficult thing to do when so much of your program is tied to one person. And Indiana had two national titles before Bob Knight ever showed up, um, which is not the case for Georgetown. Obviously it's a really difficult thing to disentangle a program from someone who is so instrumental to building it into the thing that you love and have loved forever. Um, moving on from that is easy to say sometimes. I don't know if people are necessarily, um, if it's, you know, if it is as desirable a thing as it, as it necessarily seems in the moment. Yeah, it's definitely easier said than done. And, you know, Bobby and I used to talk for years about what would it, like before Georgetown started to decline under JT3, like what would it take? For them to change and this is at the point they started losing these games one of the questions here was about what was the, the, the toughest loss for you to get over basically and obviously there's plenty to pick from in the kt3 era but we used to wonder like what would it take and then obviously we figured it out okay basically you don't make the tournament in three out of four years and have a couple losing seasons and and there you go but as as important as jt3 is as big of a figure as he is you can kind of paint over him to a degree when you're talking about this program you cannot paint over Patrick Ewing. He literally is the poster next to John Thompson. He is the he is the face of the program as, as a player. So if you say he needs to go here, you are to some degree tarnishing that. And I don't think people are willing to accept that, which I totally understand. That is a very difficult thing to do. And I think that's definitely one of the problems. You when you hired him, it's like how how on earth do you fire this guy if it ever has to come to that? And not, you know. I don't think three years were there yet, regardless. But yeah, I think that's one of the issues. Like, it, I think it, in 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 your in people's mind, it is very much a, a tough combination. This is not acceptable where we are. But I mean, he's a legend. So what are we doing? You can't just say get out. Well, and Ben, you forgot to mention in these side conversations, and we've had a couple. I think our short list of the most of it was what's the safest jobs in America. And this is, you know, like the early 2010, you know, 2011, it was Coach K. And then we had JT3, like really close to that. And then what we often went to was, well, clearly they're not going to get rid of him. But if they did, obviously the shortlist is Patrick Ewing. And, you know, both of those things happened, except that uh, JT3 had far less of a... um a, you know, he had far less uh, job security than uh, old uh, Coach K. 
Yeah, no, I, I remember, uh, I think I was talking to Andrew for a story I was actually doing after the first season, sort of heading into the second, about sort of where people were with, with Ewing, and there seemed to be a, a lot of positivity. And I remember one of the things he was saying that, that you know, the there was an actual sort of modern offense happening and all of these things that people as Georgetown fans have kind of taken for granted under JT three, which is the way of life um, were different, but it was just the fact that there was a new coach. I think that was you know, obviously it being Patrick Ewing really helped, but um, that it had happened relatively quickly in the grand scheme of things seemed like a, a thing that people were like, Oh, okay. Like we're, we're, it's not just a thing that will go on and on forever because of, you know, nepotism or legacy or whichever word you want to use to, to um, describe the dynamic at the school. And, and with the, the athletics program, um, it seemed like people were, that was a positive thing in and of itself. Like, okay, this program is actually responsive to what's happening on the floor and now we're moving forward. And um, having said that, it's probably still way too early to, uh, have any sort of conversation like that about the current coach. And I think that that's something most fans agreed with. Um, we have one in there. This is one, a, a question Ben came up with. This is really smart. How long do you give Ewing if, if the Hoyas remain outside the tournament? Uh, the options were make change after this season, uh, reassess in 2022. I want Ewing here forever and they will never fire a legend. So my take, it doesn't matter. Uh, and, <laughs> and 60, 60, almost 64% said reassess in 2022 which i think is fair right i think that that makes sense um you know it's not get this guy out of here uh very few that was the least popular answer but it's also not um i want him here forever or he'll never get fought you know it's let's be realistic about it he's not going anywhere anytime soon but in a year or two let's have a conversation if it's still bad yeah and you know, let's try to not point out smart things that Ben does, if we could try. Um, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, no, my bad. That, Sorry. That may have been it. <laughs> um, and this kind of goes to the Exodus question. These are all kind of related. The survey's really good. Go to The Athletic, subscribe if you aren't already doing it. You can check out this survey. And there's other Georgetown stuff and all kinds of college basketball stuff. If you can follow um, Eamon. Um, but... When Patrick Ewing got the job as a first-time college coach, first-time head coach anywhere, it seemed like everyone said, okay, in year three, that's where I think that's 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 the realistic NCAA tournament. And it looked like they, they had built that, right? You said that when the podcast started. Like, And I agree. I think Ben agrees. They looked like a tournament team if a tournament was going to happen. Um, but everything changed. So now that it's year one, I almost feel like I feel like reassess in 2023 is almost kind of the thing. Because they're like they're they're lower right now than when Ewing got the job, so I think it's it's you know I don't think if the expectation is in 2022 they're gonna make the tournament I think that that's really optimistic and I don't know if I would use the word unfair because you know at some point you know you have to make the tournament that's what this is all about but I would say it's probably even like a year longer than that just because they're back to square one again. And that goes with the Exodus question, and which was about, it was a pretty even answer of, you know, with the four guys transferring, was that the coaching staff's fault for putting a group together that couldn't get along or whatever happened? Or is that just how it goes sometimes? And it looks like that was pretty split if you have a poll margin of plus four and a half or something, right? 
or plus or minus. Yeah. So that was a, a question I was interested in because um, I'm, I'm always interested in where fan bases go with the question, like how much is a coach's fault? Cause we live in a world now or in an NCA now, I guess uh, an NCA structure now where coaches no longer have plausible deniability. You are understood to, um, you are assumed to have perfect knowledge of basically everything that goes on in your program. You can't pretend like if your assistant coach gives a guy a, a manila envelope full of $10,000 that you had no idea what was going on, you get punished too. Um, but programs don't always work that way. And especially with the way the Georgetown situation worked out with the guys who were dismissed, uh, essentially, and um, James Akinjo, who was not part of that cohort, but left the same day as Josh LeBlanc. And so some people kind of threw him in there quickly, even though he didn't, you know, he's just transferring for reasons of apparently not being able to get along with either Mac McClung or his sort of general sense of his role or all of the above. Um, and, and then obviously McClung played out the season and then left in a sort of a weird um, circumstance after Ewing had basically said he was coming back to school. Um, it was kind of a mess, but you know, I was interested to see, did people think that that was, is that, does that ultimately fall at the coaching staff's feet? Um, whether Ewing or whether assistants or, or everybody. And, you know, it was 57 to 43. So yeah, it was pretty split. Um, and I think I, I wrote in the sort of summary, I thought maybe I probably in retrospect should have put a third answer in there, like a little bit of both. That might be where I kind of come down on it. Like, you know, college basketball players transfer all the time now and, and they do it from every school and it just happens. So you kind of have to live with it. I think the timing of like James Akinjo deciding to leave and not being able to get him to sort of stick it out for a few more months is, is rough, but it happens. Um, but, you know, losing McClung felt like in some ways, maybe sort of a, uh, an own goal in some ways, maybe <laughs> not, maybe I'm, Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but there is, I feel like, a little bit of both in there. And that's not a very fun answer, but it might be the more realistic one. An own um, goal. I like it. Oh, you, you both are like soccer guys, so uh, I should probably steer the conversation away quicker. I'm going to hear about nil-nil or... Yes, the very difficult soccer concept of an own goal. That obviously does not translate at all. <laughs> um uh, uh, uh while uh while we have a, a guy here who covers like not just georgetown but covers like all college basketball basically one of these questions i i want to connect to sort of the, the the picture we're in right now but there's a lot of question marks with regards to this season and look obviously everybody you know we see what's going on with college football goalposts keep changing constantly they the, the, you know, Big Ten cancels the, the non-conference schedule, and they put out a regular schedule, and now they're not even going to. It's not even going to happen. They're going to delay it till the fall, and you know, basketball's got some more time. But the schedule aspect of it is still something that, if you're going to keep sort of, you know, taking one step back at a time rather than just an automatically canceling, I'm imagining we're going to start hearing more things about schedules, you know, conference play only, or maybe non-conference in a limited fashion, or whatever. So one of the questions was about, do people care about basically Georgetown and Maryland playing anymore? And this would have been a question to ask almost regardless of whether there was a pandemic or at all, because it's always a pretty, 
easy question to ask. And I'm was sort of curious myself because as somebody who grew up here and always wanted this game, I've kind of grown in different bit. But but by and large, the answers were pretty positive. I'm not looking at it in front of me, but I think it was like over 70% were high, you know either highly favorable or or, or or were down with it happening. And and my question is this: I don't, and this is what I don't know. What are, are, what's your sense right now of schedule dynamics in college basketball? Meaning. It feels like I know Georgetown and Maryland are not scheduled to play, but Georgetown had games, you know, all around the country, which are clearly not going to happen. The tournament out in California they had was a pretty big deal. That's not going to happen. Uh, I would I would presume, you know, some of these, you know, interconference things, Big Ten or you know, Big East, Big Twelve, Big Ten, whatever, whichever ones they have. It, but if they're going to try to have a something close to a real schedule, it feels like the, the schools that are near each other. This is the perfect opportunity to just say, hey. You know, this is a good for both of us, regardless of whatever nonsense keeps us apart. So shouldn't shouldn't one Georgetown and Maryland look to play this year? And two, more broadly, what, what's your sense of the of non-conference schedules? Do you think we could see things like this where teams look for geographically desirable opponents that they can drive to rather than, you know, being realistic? They're not going to be able to go to the Bahamas or, or other parts of the, the country or the world. Yeah, so – it's um, as I'll, as every coach says to me when I talk to them about it in the past few weeks, it's very fluid. Um, but no, so we did a thing on the athletic um, earlier this week, which we basically spent all of last week working on um, myself and a bunch of the college, my colleagues at the college hoops desk, putting together this like massive 357, 40, 357 team, 44 pod, um, method to get teams non-conference games basically and it was essentially we took all these teams in division one and put them in different regions um that made geographical sense so the one that i worked on primarily was the mid-atlantic so it was like delaware virginia maryland dc west virginia and then i stole eastern carolina from um from marks who was doing the southeast because they're like two hours from richmond and um yeah so what the you know we had pods in i had pods in dc we had two of them in dc one was mostly mid-majors and really small schools one was maryland and georgetown and um i had liberty and richmond coming up so that you know those are quality mid-major teams this year um i guess richmond's in the a10 but you know mid-major whatever um not to get into that tedious definition but <laughs> the um uh, but people get really offended. So Richmond, you're not a mid-major or whatever. I don't care. Um, the, uh, you know, the, that was the, when I was going to set that up, I was like, Maryland and Georgetown, boom, like, let's do it. It's just, it makes a ton of sense. So that plan probably won't actually come to fruition. Um, who knows if we're even going to get non-conference games. That seems like it could be tough, but there are a ton of things sort of of that ilk being talked about right now. And um, I mean, I talked to Maryland coach Mark Turgeon, um, last week and was asking him about his schedule because they didn't have anything announced. So I just kind of wanted to see if there was anything I could put into a, a story I worked on about, about Maryland um, in their schedule analysis uh, section. And um, he didn't have anything he wanted to tell me, but it was pretty clear that he's kind of having conversations all the time. And um, they're just waiting to figure out what's going to happen before they schedule their last couple of open opportunities. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a chance something like that could happen because it just makes obvious immediate geographical sense of like, here's another power conference team, you know, 
with traffic. It's like 45 or 50 minutes, but you know, theoretically less than a half hour drive um, to get out to either College Park or to come into DC. And you would think that in general, it would make sense for um, those two schools and, you know, your um, maybe Virginia's or VCU's or Richmond or, um, you know, a few others, obviously the schools in DC and the surrounding area, George Mason, GW, uh, even Howard and American can give a couple of these teams games without, without having to go out of town. Um, I don't know if something like that's going to happen because it's unknown whether our non-conference season is even going to happen. The Pac-12 just canceled all of basketball until January, um, which some of its coaches are not particularly pleased about, but um, they're just going all the way with it right away. So it seems more like if there's non-conference basketball, it's probably going to be events that are like, you know, teams are going to try and get as many quality games as they can. And the higher end teams are going to try and get as many quality games as they can. I don't know how the mid-major money stuff filtering down with, with buy games is going to work. I don't think anybody knows how it's going to work. Um, but if I had to, if I had to guess, if non-conference games happen, that would be the kind of thing that would happen. I don't know if they're going to it. That seems a little bit less likely to me, but no one really knows what's going on. Even, even the coaches who are trying to figure this stuff out and figure out who they're actually going to play. I get why there's all the talk of conference only because, you know, a conference can have a standard and then you know that the schools in your conference are doing the same things that you're doing. So you at least mm-hmm. feel, you know, comfortable with that level of risk. Right. But Based on, you know, the way conference realignment went, particularly the big shift, like in 2013, being in the same conference, and this is kind of just showing how crazy the realignment was, and obviously it was mainly for football, right, which only they only play, you know, 12 games or whatever, but, you know, Georgetown's in a conference with Creighton, okay, like, you know, pull up a map, look at how far Nebraska is, like, it doesn't make, you know what I mean, like, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, like, refute what you just said, but I'm just, you know, and like Maryland's entire conference is like nowhere near where they could take, like they can't really take bus trips. Right. Yeah. So I did read your, I did read the athletic um, piece about the pods and I don't think you got to the most important part, which was um, the Harvard of the South, which is JMU. I think you had Harrisonburg hosting a pod in, in their brand I did, new. Yeah. Yes. Um, if you can't tell, I am a graduate from JMU. Um, so, you know, they're getting hit really hard because they had this new arena. They had Virginia showing up. They had Old Dominion showing up. They had George Mason, which for them, that's an incredible home schedule. But I do think it makes sense for those types of teams to play, even though they're not in the same league. I just don't see, and I guess for the Big East, with, you know, going back to Georgetown, it would make sense if you had, you know, like the Midwest bubble, I guess, and then you had the East coast bubble, which is kind of weird to say when the conference name is the big East, but I, I just think it makes far more sense for Georgetown to play Richmond, JMU, Maryland, whoever, rather than playing DePaul, playing Marquette, playing Creighton. You you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think, I think, you know, what Mark Emmert said, um, and the, we're taping this Thursday night and he it, earlier Thursday evening, um, essentially said I it was like on a live Twitter show. I don't know exactly what the form is. So if I'm getting that wrong, I apologize to the people who got the quotes, but I think it was an, just an NCA thing um, that, you know, they, there is talk about bubbles for NCA basketball and mini bubbles. And um, 
semi-bubbles where, you know, a, a team comes in for, for two weeks and they go back, you know, home for two weeks and, and then they're back on for two weeks. And um, I think that figuring that out, I think the, you know, the, the, the major conferences are going to want to get this figured out because they do have the, the biggest amount of TV inventory that they have to keep sold and conferences like the A10 have to get it figured out. The Big East have to get it figured out because they don't have um, a bunch of people subscribed to a, you know, the Big Ten network and still going to be collecting cable fees through the fall, even if they're not playing. Um, it's really important for them to, to maintain to maintain their athletics programs. But I think that there is, especially because the season won't be happening, potentially won't be, you know, if, if you think about it, I think what may end up happening, what may end up making as much sense as anything else is pushing the season back until, so, so that you eventually end up with a tournament in May or even a little bit later than that, um, to where your tournament is still within range of where guys can get into the NBA draft, depending on what that process looks like next year. Um, and then maybe the later you go, if you start in January or mid-January, then you can get some of these non-conference games in because there's a vaccine or things have, you know, the numbers are such that it's a little bit safer for people in the general population, like whatever the case may be. Um, but I think, and Tom Izzo said it tonight uh, to uh, Brendan Quinn, another writer at The Athletic who covers uh, Michigan State and Michigan basketball, that like, and um, Dan Gavitt said it to Dana O'Neill as well earlier today, like they have to play an NCAA tournament. So one way or another, they're, they're going to play a tournament. That's the easiest part to figure out. It's basically a bubble already for three weeks. The, the other part is to figure out how do you get enough teams to play enough games before a tournament so that it feels like it's an actual season and not just throwing everybody into a big pool for a month and then going from there. I don't, you know, I, again, I don't know how it's going to happen. The good news for college basketball is they've seen college football basically completely collapse in on itself for the last week or so and having had no real no real plan up until that point and now they have some time to try and plot it out fingers crossed could, could the could the uh, let, me, let me take this to a different level you guys came up with a with a situation where you have pods of like eight teams in different parts of the country could we mm -hmm. work out some scenario where with, with these pods are ultimately there is no season but the pods are effectively just it's all one tournament so you you play within the pods. It's just an eight-team tournament. Whoever comes out of that tournament that advances to the bigger tournament, to the actual NCAA tournament. Ben, I think you're describing group play at the World Cup or the Champions League from soccer that I know you're so into. Yeah, well, I'll have to say. <laughs> I mean, just, I, I'd be down for that. I, I think that's a fun idea. I don't know if that's like, you know. I don't know if that's going to be agreeable to everyone. Like at the end of the day, I think the NCAA, the other good thing about basketball as compared to football is the NCAA has no real power with football because it doesn't put, you know, it doesn't run the, the bowl championship series or whatever it's called now, the football playoff thing. And so, you know, it has no real say it's the conferences figuring it out for themselves. And then the, you know, they kind of have a committee that, that runs the, the playoff thing. Um, the NCAA actually has someone who's basically in charge of men's basketball. And that's Dan Gavitt. He's not like all powerful, but he is sort of the one, you know, singular voice that um, takes a huge lead in running the operations of, 
men's basket, men's collegiate and women's, I think maybe there's another one uh, person who does the women's side. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But, you know, collegiate basketball, at least on the men's side, has a singular person who runs it. There's the NCAA tournament selection committee, which is the men's basketball committee that has a huge voice in figuring out how this stuff should go. So it isn't just going to be a bunch of disparate entities trying to figure out what's going on based on what their doctors in their part of the country are telling them, which is just a horrifying idea. Um, You know, so that's positive. So, yeah, I mean, maybe in like a month's time, they'll be like, actually, you know what? We figured it out. We're going to steal the athletics idea, except all of those groups are going to be, you know, like playing groups or something. And then we'll have, you know, they'll bubble up for a, a week or two and then, um, we'll have everybody come into one giant bubble in, I don't know, wherever, which, whatever place has the least virus at that point. Um, Somehow the state of North uh, Carolina will certainly have a bubble. I, 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 <laughs> I promise that. And maybe it'll be Harrisonburg. Who knows? Harrisonburg um, is just an incredible small town. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I've been through it before many times driving down to uh, – southeast virginia and beyond but i've never stopped so i'll have to i'll have to do so next time for well sure. you know what there's um, a perfect opportunity now that they have a brand new arena yeah no i mean that's what i said in my write-up for the thing i was like hey jam you set to open this new arena you know this year let's put that baby to use um <laughs> we can't just have it sitting there empty uh so yeah no i mean again this is all spitballing but i think the thing with college basketball that that is encouraging is that there is a, a centralized sort of authority and B I think a little bit more willingness to explore scenarios like this. And with college coaches, um, there's typically a little bit more unity guys work together and the college football side is a little bit more um, paranoid and suspect of everybody else. And there isn't that sort of like collaborative culture that a lot of college basketball coaches have where you know, they've been talking to each other um, for six months now, trying not to drive their wives insane. So um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it how it sorts out. But I think these are the kinds of ideas that are like, you know, you bring up our, our idea to, to people in college basketball and they're like, I mean, I don't know, maybe, yeah, we could maybe work something like, you know, it's not immediately like, Haha, okay, yeah, cool, good idea, but no thanks. Like there's, you know, a version of that may end up becoming a thing or, or maybe something totally different, but I think they're at least looking at different scenarios. You mentioned that you talked to Mark Turgeon recently. Have you tried to reach out to Patrick Ewing? No, but I do have a story at some point coming up on them that I'll have to be writing. I think it's like in a month or something. So I haven't talked to him recently now, Okay, but it, that, that conversation will be happening. Hopefully he doesn't read the survey though. Oh, I did talk to him about, uh, <laughs> Our, I did talk to him about our Georgetown draft that Ben and I and um, my, my colleague, or our colleague, uh, Brian Hamilton did a while back. Um, it was just about like drafting the best Georgetown players of all time. Yeah. Um, when we were, when we were looking for content uh, in the, in the post COVID world. Um, and he was cool on that. He didn't like my team because I didn't pick him number one overall. Um, well, cause there's I a- think, so you weren't so. you weren't on, but Ben Ben described the the draft process and the snake. So didn't really make sense to pick him first, right? No, I mean I still got Dikembe Mutombo. Yeah, like on the on the way back, and <laughs> obviously he was an amazing player, but like <laughs> the the program hasn't had very many Allen Iverson level guards. So not many programs know. have. 
but um, but no, he doesn't. He did not like my draft very much. <laughs> I, I as soon as I took my pick, I, I was like very. I'm like, wow, that was smart, Eamon. I am so smart. And then I was like, oh wait, I have to talk to Patrick Ewing about this. Um, I have yeah, to convince him that my team is better, even though I even though I didn't draft him first. He did not. He wasn't pleased. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm so glad that was you, not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was. Um, yeah, at some point in the in the interview, I told him that I was like, you know what? It dawned on me uh, shortly after I made my pick that I would have to be explaining this to you and um, trying to convince you of why I did the right thing. And I was like, it's not sounding like I I'm convincing you. He's like, no, you're not. So yeah, that was that was my challenge. That was the last time um, last time I talked to him, and I think it was right before the McClung thing happened. So yeah, haven't haven't had a chance to swing back that way yet, but. The long off season. We'll get there. It's while we have you here. This I have Tim. Just sort of curious about this. Obviously, you, you just mentioned you've talked to Surgeon, you've talked to to Patrick. I mean, you you obviously talk a lot to coaches around the country. Everybody is different, just as a as a person. But you know, they're all coaches to some degree. You know, so you have to sort of compare them to one another in very in various ways. And I'm just curious. Just even just as talking to him, because like you know, we we are in there. We ask him questions at press conferences. We ask different coaches questions, and you know, you get some sense, even if it's a little bit fraudulent, but you get some sense of what they're about by these answers. How does Patrick Ewing, like, when when you deal with him, is it comparable to most other coaches? Is it completely different? He is an icon, a, a basketball icon, where most coaches are just a guy who is, has that job at the moment. He is different, but also it's you know, he doesn't the most loquacious guy out there. He doesn't always give great answers. How, how do you compare him to other these Division One coaches? Because also in the recruiting trail, they're competing against each other, and you know how you come to project yourself matters. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely the first time I talked to him was actually like for a one-on-one interview in his office um, uh, a couple years ago. Now it was after his first season, and there was definitely the sense as someone who grew up. You know, I was born in 1985, grew up watching the NBA in the 90s. I was a massive Bulls fan, but, you know, obviously uh, saw a ton of Patrick. You know, so there was like a moment there where I was like, all right, getting my notebook out, setting my recorder down. I was like, oh, oh, wow, that is Patrick Ewing. Wow. Okay. And it was just brief and momentary because that stuff is usually not how I, you know, it's like you get over it very quickly after a while and you get kind of jaded and and um, cynical about it, but, but that part is cool for sure. And he definitely has that about him. Um, I think he has to deal with that stuff more like on Biggie's conference calls. Like he is, he'll have, you know, coaches will be asked, there'll be someone who's working on a, a themed story that week for like whatever publication. And they're, they're talking about um, defense in the league and maybe the, the defense, their angle is defense in the league is not as good as it was back in the old big East or something. And he's absolutely going to get asked about when he played and how it was when he played. And there's just a more of an emphasis on that for him. But I bet probably gets a little bit annoying. I don't know for sure. Maybe he doesn't care. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of talking to him in terms of like relative to other coaches, he's definitely, he's definitely his own dude. I think you're right. He's not the most loquacious guy. I think he gives you pretty straight up answers. I think that's one thing about like, there's not a whole lot of like weasel words or, um coach speak necessarily i think in my experiences with him anyway like he'll just kind of answer you straight up um how he feels about a thing 
and there isn't a whole lot of dancing around or, um, or, or, you know, kind of worrying too much about like, if something's going to be like, it's just sort of straight out with it, which I, I kind of appreciate. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think one thing about, about the survey that was interesting to me, and this is a, a minor segue is that, you know, what is one thing you change about Georgetown basketball? That question we, we mentioned, you know, on campus arena recruiting, like, okay. But, um, one thing that, that came back was that I was surprised to see, cause it's usually only media people who care about this stuff, but a lot of people, a lot of fans said media openness interviews, social media content, um, less sort of quote unquote paranoia, uh, public presence. And I'm scrolling through the responses right now, like, you know, bring in casual fans, um, like be more transparent. And these are verbatim answers. Um, update our sense of identity, get more local interest, um, lack of engagement. So that is that, you know, that is a thing that I think has been so true about Georgetown for so long that I think it's probably better now than it has been in the past. Um, just from my, my own personal experience, I haven't been around forever and that may not be true. Um, but there is just sort of that underlying maybe cultural thing at Georgetown that's just, you know, the sort of stuff you get from a lot of other coaches where you're in contact with them a lot more regularly and you maybe text with them frequently or um, they reach out to you when, the, you know, you write a story about something else that they just happen to read, like stuff like that. Um, that's not going to happen with Georgetown and doesn't seem like that's ever really happened with Georgetown and it's not really super different right now from what I can tell. And I think that that's something that's really interesting to me that that, that comes through to the fans and it's not just sort of a media, you know, talking to reporters after a game, uh, you know, yada, yada, I can never get these people on the phone sort of thing that like that, that actually permeates its way through to the fan base, I think is, is kind of fascinating. I, I promise that wasn't me just putting, you know, filling out like 50 surveys. That's the thing is that you like <laughs> you totally you totally like yeah media people gripe about this stuff all the time and I'm sure Ben has gripes with BT covers maybe not maybe he loves everybody I don't know I don't want to put words in Ben's mouth Ben does not um, love everybody that is <laughs> I'm not sure I tolerate on um, anybody <laughs> um, but you know that you have good and and. Uh, folks that are really easy to work with and you can get someone on the phone and no problem, you know, coaches that are like that, SIDs that are like that, um, players, whatever. And, um, but that's all stuff that media people talk about and that we don't think that fans care about. And normally fans don't care about it. They care about whether their team wins or loses and whatever, like they don't care about whether reporters have access to a program or um, if the tweets are good. But um, I think Georgetown fans have become, it seems just judging from our survey and, and um, again, this is why this was so fascinating to me, the prevalence of that, not just popping up in one answer or two, but being really common in, in the amount of um, times people mentioned it, I think was really interesting that, it, that it, it is a thing that Georgetown fans also see about their program and don't necessarily love about it. Yeah. I think, I think Ben and I could do a week of shows on this is that, our thing has been for years that the only thing Georgetown basketball kind of gave fans to hold, like the only thing you could hold on to 
was success and winning. Mm-hmm. And that's great, except when you're not doing that. So then when you can't even give them, you know, you keep the you keep everyone at arm's length, but you're winning. You're, you know, you're going to the tournament, you're going to you're, you know, you're advancing in the Big East tournament, you're doing all these things. And when that dries up, what else are you giving the fan base that wants stuff, right? And now in the age of you know, Instagram, Twitter, all these things. And Georgetown has improved, I would say, in the last couple of years, particularly, I mm-hmm. would say, even the last year. But when you're not doing well, like, that's how you can connect with those people. That's how you get them to keep going to games, right? When you're not necessarily winning, you feel part of something. And if all you're getting is on courts, it's the on-court results. When those dry up, what do you have? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, again, like... I personally would love for every program to be super wide open um, and super transparent and talkative. And, you know, I'd love to have every coach's phone number. Um, But I, I cover programs, you know, look like Virginia is not the most open and accessible program either. It's not maybe quite to the level that Georgetown is. Um, But, you know, there's just the, like some coaches white like to do that stuff. Some don't like, that's fine. It's, you know, I get it. I, if I was them, I'd probably feel the same way in certain ways, but um, you know, there, I think you have to give some of that stuff to the fans for sure. And I think if your fans are feeling that way, then, then yeah, you, if there's nothing to hold on to there, then, then it's easy for people to, to, to feel kind of adrift. Um, I was talking to Ben earlier and the favorite player I thought was one of the more interesting results because other has such a big percentage, right? Like you get, you get, you get Ewing, Iverson, Morning, obviously a great program, you know, four-year player, you know, Hall of Famer, all these types of things. He was pretty low. And I think that's because he, you know, he was so close to Ewing, I wonder if it had been like Jeff Green or Hibbert, someone from the 2000s, maybe there would have been some more, you know, or there, there would have been less less write-in votes. But do we have a mm-hmm. sense for who some of these other players are? Or was that just? No, was... that's, you see, I'm, yeah, I'm looking at the results and and I, I'm disappointed that we didn't put in a, a write-in possibility. We just put other. And I think Ben and I probably were both thinking, well, we covered the options, right? Like those are the three guys that people yeah. are, you know, but um, yeah, I, 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 that is probably my one regret from the survey is, is putting in a field for, for people to fill that out because it would have been really interesting to see the kinds of names that would have come up because you never know what people are going to get attached to. Like in one of the other questions, like favorite memories is just, you know, there's a lot of like beating, you know, Winning the national title, beating Duke in 2006, um, Jeff Green's bucket to get to the Final Four, um, yada, 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 beating Syracuse. But there's also like walking home after a snow day, uh, you know, a really snowy night and or like trying vodka for the first time on the Villanova rooftop, like whatever. Like <laughs> That's awesome. You know, there's all sorts of stuff that is in there that's like, people's favorite thing about the program isn't necessarily the most successful thing about the program. Um, and so, yeah, there's probably a lot, if people could have write, you know, written that in, there's probably a lot of under the radar or guys I wouldn't even know of that they are just were like friends with or, 
I formed an attachment to over four years on campus that don't have anything really to do with the success they had at the program. I, I wish we had some of those answers, but if people hear this and they want to um, fill out some of their info, um, go put it in the comments because I would be fascinated to know. Yeah, the well, I guess in this in this particular question, it was, I was, I was going to say it's a third party candidate, but it's actually a fourth party candidate. Um, pretty good, pretty good percentage there. It might have even got some electoral votes. You know, I mean, um, I was I was pretty surprised, and I'm trying to figure out who it's going to be. I, I feel like it has to be. I feel like Jeff Green or Otto or Hibbert. I feel like it's someone from the 2000s. You know, because mm-hmm. basically, you know, Ewing covers the early 80s. Um, Morning, I think, started in 89, and then Iverson has the mid-90s. So there is kind of a pretty big gap there. And um, beside, you know, you got Mike Sweetney, I guess, that made the Sweet 16 in 01. And then, you, like I said, uh, the Je- you know Jeff Green and Roy Hibbert, maybe even some Jonathan Wallace. I don't know. People like the, the unheralded guy. But um, one of the guys that probably would have been on that list, Mac McClung, you know, if we say Matt McClung on this podcast or he gets in the podcast name, it, you know, the downloads are quicker than ever and all those things. So I should just start, you know, I can't do it anymore. But part of me at one point wanted to just be like, you know, Matt McClung edition three or whatever. But uh, <laughs> about Matt McClung leaving, I know for me, it was kind of when we talked about it last week, the way the question is, it's like, how surprised were you? And for me, it's kind of like, well, when? Because if you told me I was up at the Big East tournament when the world basically stopped, if you had told me that he was leaving that day, I would have been totally surprised. Um, Mm -hmm. When he decided to put his name into the draft, I thought it was weird because there's not going to be the normal, you know, parade of workouts and stuff. So that kind of made me think, well, maybe he's thinking there's no season and maybe he wants to go to the G League and make money or wants to go overseas. So I was kind of, then I was like, well, I'm not totally surprised, but it'd still be surprising. And then when Ewing said he was coming back and his agent, and I think Ben tweeted or talked to his agent as well, put out stuff that was like, you know, um, we didn't say that. And then at that point, mm-hmm. when he left, I wasn't all that surprised. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the time that it the, it ended up the way it ended up um, and he announced his, uh, you know, gave quotes to, I think it was, ESPN about what he was doing. Um, yeah, I guess that, that, that's a good way of putting it. It wasn't that surprising at that point, but a week earlier would have been surprising. And, and when he put his draft name in the draft, I, I still would have been super surprised because so many guys are doing that now. Like you just put your name in the draft to put your name in the draft. And at this point, there's no downside to do it. You just go in. And even this year, it's like, go in, talk to people, meet some GMs on zoom. You know what I mean? Like, why not? Um, get some feedback, tell, you know, figure out what they think you, you need to do to, to get to the league. Um, for, for him, I think it would be turn into a point guard probably is what he was thinking or what he expected to hear probably has a lot to do with what he did here. Um, and, uh, you know, but that, that the correlation with, with entering your name into the draft and getting some feedback and talking to some people for a month or two, um, and then not coming back to the program is probably pretty low. I think, um, that was still pretty surprising. Um, that idea was still pretty surprising until his agent talked to Ben and Ben obviously ruined everything with, with that. So good job, Ben. He tends to do that a lot. Mm-hmm. If he's even uh, still here. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Well, I'm hey listening. guys, 
Um, I don't know if there's anything else you guys want to get to, but I think this has been great. I think the survey was great. I thought the questions were good. The answers I thought were really interesting. So I recommend everyone go out there and check it out. Hopefully you filled it out if you're listening to this. If you're listening to this, you should absolutely be subscribing to The Athletic to get Georgetown coverage that you're not going to get other places. Um, Eamon, it was great to have you on. Ben, it's always great to have you. Um, you guys have anything? I appreciate it. <laughs> um, y'all, well, I'll just say really quick before we go, thank you for having me. It was a really enjoyable conversation. And um, yeah, everybody check out the check out the poll, check out the site, and hopefully um, we can watch some basketball in person again sometime soon. I'd really like that. That would just be incredible. I don't know. I mean, we're, I'm going to have to have you on every so often because, I mean, it's just – you know, I mean, you know, this is your full-time job. It's not my full-time job, but just to keep putting out content when you never know when the games are going to happen again, it's just like, wow, this is great. And to get all this information. And um, I know that all the bubble stuff and what's going to happen. It's good that you said we're talking about Thursday night, because literally if you're listening to this Friday afternoon, it could have completely changed. Yeah. Yep. There may be a, there may be a comprehensive plan for it by tomorrow. We'll see. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Kente Corner. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. It's SB Nation Casual Hoya Podcast. You can find me on Twitter, Bobby Bancroft. These guys at The Athletic, at Ben Standing, at Eamon Brennan. It was great. I'll see you guys.